All right, take your copy of God's beautiful word and find your way to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. <coughs> Mark's Gospel, chapter number 2. And we're going to be um, beginning today in the 23rd verse. I've titled this sermon, I'd had a different title for it. And this happens to me a lot. I always try to hold off on the title until I'm happy with the sermon. And uh, when I don't do that, it ends up changing. And this one did. I had originally titled this sermon, uh, The Sabbath According to Jesus, but it's really not about the Sabbath. It is, but it's not. That's not the main focus here. Um, and then it hit me as I was wrapping my uh, final run-through. It's really, this is about turning blessings into burdens. Now I want you to think about that for a minute. When's the last time you turned a blessing into a burden? Probably on the way to church if you're like me. <laughs> right? We, 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 we have this tendency because we live in a fallen world to take beautiful things that God's given us, blessings, and to turn them into burdens. Or to look at them as burdens. And if you look at something as a burden, it'll become one. Isn't that true? Uh, that's why you have your children next to you right now. Uh, sometimes we tend to look at them as a burden. And when we do, they can easily become that. And by the way, they can sniff that out in a heartbeat, parents. They have a radar for that. And uh, I know I've been guilty of that in my life. And, and those are some, some deep regrets that we have. But today we're going to look at a group of people that turned one of the most beautiful blessings that God ever gave to a people, God's law, into a terrible burden. Trying to do a good thing, they created a system that led to oppression. It was never God's intent. And Jesus is going to work fairly directly to both address and undo the harm and the misdeeds that were done by this group of people. At the end of Mark chapter 1, Jesus was at the height of his popularity. He'd been in his public ministry when we reached Mark chapter 2 for about 18 months. And honestly, he was a celebrity. And why not? I mean, he was performing miracle after miracle. And the people were astounded and amazed at his teaching. By the way, the miracles never came before the message. Don't ever forget it. The message was preached and declared. And we know what the message was. Because we find out in Mark 1, it, in the middle of Jesus' first sermon, was about His only sermon. And it was, repent, believe, follow me. That's the kingdom gospel. But this preaching was with some authority, as if He wrote it. Imagine that. <laughs> and uh, when we get to Mark chapter 2, <laughs> we got to remember that we're in the first 18 months of Jesus' public ministry, and things began to change. And we saw that change in the temperature in the room immediately, right after Jesus healed the paralyzed man by saying, Your sins are forgiven you. Up to that point, the religious leaders were coming and checking him out. He was a curiosity. They weren't real happy that the people liked his sermons better than theirs, but they were, too were fascinated by this man who could heal the sick, cleanse the leper, 
and deliver the demon-possessed. They had questions. But boy, whenever he said, your sins are forgiven you, that was a line in the sand. And they weren't about to cross it. They said, who can forgive sins but God? And it's as if Jesus said, exactly. So that began a change in the relationship between the leaders and Jesus. And from that point, Jesus began to deal heavily with the man-made traditions of the Pharisees and scribes, especially fasting, which we talked about last week, and what you could and could not do on the Sabbath day. God had given His law concerning the Sabbath. Listen to this, though. But the Jewish rabbis had added 613 written laws in their Torah, additional laws to protect and insulate the ten. 613. Of these, only 248 were positives, thou shalt's. And 365 were negative, thou shalt not. Which side do you think they erred on? <laughs> so let's follow Jesus on this Sabbath day in the first century and see if we can learn something and apply it to the 21st century. If you've got your Bibles, you're there. Chapter 2, look at verse 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he, Jesus, said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was in need and hungry, and he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of um, Abathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Pretty interesting. They just come off of a questioning Jesus about fasting. And if you remember back from last week, he answered a question with a what? He does it again. He could do it two more times. Uh, this is Jesus' MO, his, his modus operandi. This is how Jesus operates um, in order to cause these men to think. So the first thing I want you to see as, we, as, we, as we're following Jesus on this Sabbath day, the the, the the curtain rises, and we have, number one, a fight in a field. <laughs> a fight in a field. They're just minding their own business, walking through the wheat field, either to or from synagogue, and actually to synagogue, because that's where he's going to end up. They're walking to church. And the guys walking through the edges of that field, they just grab some of those heads of grain, and the kernels come right off, and you, you go like this, and that gets the hull off the outside of the chaff, and you eat those things. They're, they're delicious. Um, and notice this, the Pharisees had to have been watching. They're looking for any excuse now <laughs> after Jesus forgave that man's sins. 
and went and hung out with publicans and prostitutes at a feast when it was a fasting day. And Jesus just corrected them very plainly. And they lost that fight. So now they're saying, we're going we're to get something to pin on this guy. So somehow these guys are watching. They're, they're stalking Jesus and the disciples. And the guys pick a few heads of grain, get the hull off and eat them. And they say, oh, that's it. Your, your guys just broke the law. So the first thing I see underneath this, I just want to deal with for a second, is the crime. Here's the crime that the disciples were supposedly guilty of. Uh, and to help us understand where these religious leaders were coming from, I want to read you a brief explanation by a fellow named Alfred Edersheim. He is a Jewish man who believes in Christ as the Messiah. He explains why in the eyes of the Pharisees what the disciples were doing was not lawful on the Sabbath. Here's what he says. On any ordinary day, this would have been lawful. But on the Sabbath, it involved according to rabbinic statutes, not God's law. This was the 600 plus that they put around it. According to rabbinic statutes, at least two sins, which was plucking the ears, which was reaping, rubbing them in their hands, which was sifting, grinding, or fanning. The Talmud says... Uh, and this is the extra law that they came up with. In case a woman rolls wheat to remove the husks, it is considered sifting. If she rubs the heads of wheat, it is regarded as threshing. If she cleans off the side adherences, or the shell, the husk, it is sifting out fruit. And if she bruises the ears, it is grinding. If she throws them up in her hand, it is winnowing. All no-no's. Further, the Talmud devotes 24 chapters in it to nothing but Sabbath regulations. And most of those were stuff you could not do. Describing in painfully exhaustive detail what was not permitted to be done. The result was a ridiculous complex system of external behavioral re restraints. Uh, so much so that one rabbi spent two and a half years studying just one of the 24 chapters. This is how desperate they were. For example, traveling more than 3,000 feet from home was forbidden. But if one had placed food at the 3,000 foot point before the Sabbath, that point would be considered a home. Since there was food there. And allow another 3,000 foot 3,000 feet for travel. Similarly, a piece of wood or rope placed across the end of a narrow street or alley constituted a doorway. That could then be considered the front door of one's house and permit the 3,000 feet of travel to begin there. You believe this? I had a friend of mine recently in Israel um, staying in a hotel, and there was on a Sabbath, which is Saturday, and there were several Jewish people waiting at the elevator, and no one would hit the button because they can't. That's work. They waited for him to hit the button. And when he hit the button, they got in and told him which floor and let him hit the button for their floor. That was okay. You just can't do it yourself. So what, what we're talking about here in the first century is still going on today. And this is nothing but an attempt to make oneself righteous in the eyes of God. Let me continue. 
There were also regulations, this cracks me up, about carrying items. Something lifted up in a public place can only be set down in a private place and vice versa. Well, that'd make you very careful about what you picked up and how far you were from home. Thank God for the 3,000 steps. <laughs> um, <coughs> an object tossed into the air could be caught with the same hand, but if it was caught in the other hand, well, that's a violation. <laughs> I'm not making this stuff up, folks. If a person had to reach out, had reached out to pick up food when the Sabbath began, the food had to be dropped. To bring the arm back while holding food would be to carry a burden on the Sabbath. It was forbidden to carry anything heavier than a dried fig, though something weighing half as much could be carried two times. <laughs> a tailor could not carry his needle, a scribe his pen, or a student his books. Only enough ink to write two letters of the alphabet could be carried. A letter could not be sent even by a non-Jew. Clothes could not be examined or shaken out before being put on because an insect might be killed in the process, which would be work. No fire could be lit or put out. Cold water could be poured into warm water, but not warm into cold. An egg could not be cooked, not even by placing it in hot sand during the summer. Nothing could be sold or bought. Bathing was forbidden. Lest water be spilled on the floor and wash it. Moving a chair was not allowed since it made a rut in a dirt floor which was too much like plowing. Women were forbidden to look in a mirror. I do like that one. Since if they saw a white hair, they might be tempted to pull it out. I'm getting off of that one right now. <laughs> Other forbidden things include sowing, plowing, reaping, binding, sheaves, threshing, winnowing, grinding, kneading, baking, shearing, washing, uh, beating, dyeing, or spinning wool, tying, or untying a knot, catching, killing, or skinning a deer. I, I'm guilty. Salting its meat or preparing its skin. It was two people crushed by this unbearable burden of man-made legalistic regulations that the Lord Jesus Christ said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. However, this does not sit well with people who have heavy yokes and harsh burdens. And that is the religious leaders of his day. So that was the crime they committed, is reaping and preparing grain. The letter B is the correction. The correction. Because actually what they did was not a breaking the law. Um, in Deuteronomy 23 it says, verse 25, you can do that. Problem is they did it on the Sabbath. But even on the Sabbath that's not breaking the law. 
That's breaking the Talmud. That's breaking the extra rules around the law. So here's the correction. And notice again, you can't make it up. Jesus answers our question with a what church? Question. question. But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry and he and those with him? So David and his disciples. Now David, outside of Moses, David was their number two guy. So, right? King David, I mean, you, 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 just, you can't talk about King David bad. Not even those guys could do that. Right? So this is like Jesus saying, haven't you ever read about your boy? <laughs> your boy David and his fellas? And this is super offensive because these guys were experts in the law. And asking them, have you not read, was really insulting. And I, I had to feel that that was on purpose. Did you guys skip that part in the scroll? Where David and his guys with him eat the bread of presence. A holy thing that only the priest could eat. Verse 26, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, now listen to this, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. Now David did, in a sense, break the letter of the law. But listen, this is, this is where Jesus was pushing his point. His disciples didn't. What they, there was nothing wrong with what they did, according to God's law. He said, well, here's David who actually did break the letter of the law, but not its spirit. And here's what Jesus was driving at. David didn't break the spirit of the law there because the law is designed to be a blessing. And when it becomes a burden, it is to be abrogated, set aside in order to bless those who are in need or burdened down. So what David did is in some sense acceptable, listen, write this down in your mind, because of the principle. The spirit of the law was not abrogated. The spirit of the law was still intact because this was not a rebellious act. Instead, it was a response to great need. And the conditions were all met. You can read that in God's word. Jesus is not, listen to this now, this is a great statement. Jesus is not disputing the practice, their practice of Sabbath, but their confusion as to the principle behind it. Jesus wasn't coming to undo the use of Sabbath. Instead, he was coming to expose and correct the abuse of Sabbath. Are you with me? Jesus was not undoing his own law, thereby breaking it and ceasing to be qualified to die for the likes of you and I, Gentiles. No. No, he is just correcting the abuse of the law based on its principles. So we have, we have the, the correction. We have the question. And then we have number two, the declaration. The declaration. So if David could do that, 
Let me tell you what that means. And look where he goes with it. Verse 27. First he asks the question, then he makes the statement. And they couldn't argue. They knew the answer to the question. They knew he was right. Based on that answer, he then exposes their flaw. And it's a big one. And here's the, the declaration. He's basically saying, fellas, you have turned a blessing into a burden. You've turned God's command inside out. And he makes it plain. And he says to them, quote, the Sabbath was made for man. If you've got a nice spot in your Bible, like my daughter Emma's Bible that we got her for Christmas has beautiful margins designed to write in. Write in there, blessing. The Sabbath was given as a gift to bring joy and blessing and restoration to the heart of God's creation. Right? This, uh, the Sabbath was made as a gift, a blessing, a benefit to man. But look at this. Not man for the Sabbath. And you're right in your margin there. You turned it into a burden. And you got it completely backwards. And then he's not done. He's going to say something worse. This, is, this next declaration is as bad as your sins are forgiven you in their eyes. This is blasphemy if it's not true. <laughs> but it is true. Y'all see how this is unfolding? Look what he says. Because the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Look at this. Don't, don't miss this word, therefore. Because that is true, look what he says. The Son of Man, talking about himself, is also, what's that say in your Bible? Lord of the Sabbath. Woo! Who's the Lord of the Sabbath? God, the... Yahweh, the Jehovah, the Holy One of Israel is the only Lord of the Sabbath. And to make it worse, he uses the Messianic title, the Son of Man. So he's saying two things there. I'm the Messiah. I am the Anointed One. I am your King. And I am your God. That did not go down well. That kind of went over like a ham in a bar mitzvah. <laughs> Not good. They're like, okay, we got to deal with this guy. It's up there on the screen, and I love this quote here. Jesus has declared that he is Lord of the Sabbath through this event. He said, I'm, I'm the master over the Sabbath, and because... I am master of the Sabbath. I get to say what it's for. And the Sabbath is a gift to bless men, not to curse them. And you're cursing them. And I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus has declared that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now in this next section, he's going to demonstrate very clearly 
that lordship. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, and I'm going to prove it to you. Watch this. Right? Remember, the miracles always follow the message. The message here is, I, the Son of Man, the Messiah, am Lord of the Sabbath. Now here's the miracle to back that up. I'm going to demonstrate. I declared it, now I'm going to demonstrate it. So we go from a fight in a field to a squabble in a synagogue. All right? So we've got a fight in a the field. They, they make their, their, they're fighting all, they're arguing all the way to the synagogue, and they walk in the synagogue. You're never going to believe what happened. Look at, look at chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered the synagogue again, and the man was there who had a withered hand, a palsied hand. So first thing I want you to see here in verse 2 is the setup. Now, I don't know if they set this guy there on purpose, um, if he was a plant. Would that surprise anybody if he was? No. That would be just like Jesus' adversaries to do that. But regardless, he's there. And even through the evil, how many of you know and are thankful that even through the evil intent of man, the sovereign purposes of God prevail? Amen? That should make somebody glad in here this morning. I go to the funeral of my best friend who leaves a beautiful wife and five children. And I can sit there and say, the kindness of God is evident here. I can't see it, but I know that it is here. So this man's there by the good graces of God. Here's the setup, though, in verse 2. So they watched him. How, church? They were checking him out. So they see this guy with the bad hand. They see Jesus. I said, okay, let's see what you do now. Why are they watching him so closely? Look at this. Whether he would heal them, heal him on the Sabbath day to what end? So that they might accuse him. Have you ever been so committed to an outcome that you have lost your perspective? Maybe I should say it this way. Have you been, ever been so committed to something happening that you've lost your mind? <laughs> I've known some people to be that. I've been that way myself. What's the old saying? You can't see the forest for the trees. You are, you are you're blind as a bat. These guys are literally sitting there saying... He better not heal that guy on the Sabbath. That's all I'm saying. What? As, as the late R.C. Sproul would say, what's wrong with you people? If Jesus came in here this morning and told my brother Andy to stand up and walk up here, I would fight every one of you in the parking lot if you had a problem with that. And I would win. Because I don't fight fair. <laughs> I'm the ninth son. I learned, I learned about fighting dirty to survive. Listen, this is crazy. So true, the words of David. Jot it down in your outline, Psalm 37, 32. The wicked spies upon the righteous and seeks to kill them. They're looking for Jesus to mess this up. Then we see the call up. Look at the next verse. Verse 3. And he said to the man, Jesus says to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Come up here. Step up. You know what I see there? Jesus is not hiding anything. He says, I'm doing everything out in the open. I'm not sneaking around, slinking around. And here's why. Because I'm not doing anything wrong. We're eating grain out in the open. We're not doing anything wrong. We're, we're forgiving the sins 
of the paralyzed because I'm not doing anything wrong. By the way, if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't need to sneak around either. I won't put names to that, but you know who you are. <laughs> then we have the question. Here it is again. Jesus is the master question asker. Look at the next verse. Then he said to them, he's speaking right to these guys with their arms folded. Tell me, is it, is it lawful on the Sabbath? Notice he doesn't say to heal or not to heal. That's not what he says. To do good or to do evil. To save life or to kill. Now notice their response. But they kept what? They sure didn't keep silent in that, corn, in that grain field, did they? They had no problem speaking up there. They sure didn't keep silent at the feast. They didn't sure didn't keep silent when they accused his disciples of not fasting. But now they zip it. They got nothing to say. Because they knew they were impaled on the horns of a dilemma. Jesus had them no matter what they said. Now this is interesting. Verse 5. And when he had looked around at them with what, church? Anger. Anger. Jesus was angry here. He was so frustrated with them. Being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Their hardness grieved him to the core and it made him, here's the word, angry. That is, there's three words for anger in the Greek. This one is orge, which means a righteous response to injustice. This is the same word that is used at Lazarus' funeral. Jesus was angered at the injustice of death coming to his best friend. Hey, by the way, church, aren't you glad that you serve a king who gets angry at sin, especially yours? You know why he hates your sin? Because he loves you. And he hates that which harms you. They don't say anything. Verse 5. We looked around him in anger, being greed at the hardness of their hearts. He forgets them. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. Now there's a lot of ways you can say that word, that phrase. But there's one way to say it that's used specifically in the Greek Septuagint of the Old Testament. And it's a little bit of a strange way to say this, but Jesus said it on purpose because he knew they, these religious leaders would pick it up and they would know the reference. They would recognize it and they would know exactly what Jesus was, was equating them to. You know where that, that phraseology comes from? One place in the Old Testament. It's when Moses is standing at the Red Sea with two and a half million Jews behind him and Pharaoh's army bearing down on him. Like, God, what do we do now? And if you want to look this up later in this week, it's Exodus 14, 16. He uses the exact phraseology as pick up your rod, stretch out your hand over the Red Sea. 
Same exact word. You know what, you know what Jesus was showing here in this command? Number one, Jesus is saying, I'm God. I'm the guy talking to Moses. The man is Moses. So what, what does that leave for you fellas? You are Pharaoh and his armies destined for the destruction of God's chosen people. They did not like that. Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. They got the picture. Is it right to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? Now, Mark's irony is well at work here. You can't miss it. Mark's irony is there. In seeking to do well, the religious leaders are willing to accuse Jesus of doing evil. They can't see the forest for the trees. They're blind by their own ambition. And then this last one, look at this. I'm going to help you see this in the conclusion here in, in one minute. So I'm, I'm done. But look at this 27. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, not 27. Verse 6. So he heals the guy. Both his hands are better. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Look at the response in verse 6. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. I just called this a deal in the dark. These are strange bedfellows, the Pharisees and the Herodians. They hated each other. More of the Pharisees hated them, but Herodians didn't like them either. The Herodians were the social class. They were the political people, not so much religious. They were all about themselves, the bottom line, power and authority and influence. And what was Jesus getting? Power, authority, and influence. Pharisees railed against the Herodians in their sermons. And now they're partnering with them. Sun Tzu, in the art of war, said this, The enemy of my enemy is my friend. But I want to ask you something. What's wrong with these people? Like, why are they wanting to kill Jesus and willing to partner with people they hate in order to get the job done? What was so bad about what Jesus did? He just ate some grain on, on a Sabbath and healed a guy. What is their problem? There's a lot bigger things at, at stake here. The the heart of this war between Jesus and the Pharisees is the answer to this question. Don't miss it. How is a person set in right standing before a holy God? The heart of their problem with Jesus is what we call the gospel, the good news. The Pharisees said, well, I'll tell you how. It's believing what God has said, and then working to make sure that you're doing exactly as God has said, keeping the law. It's, it's faith and the, the dogged keeping of God's law. And that's how you're right with God. 
You do your work and you believe that God will accept it. Jesus' answer, wake up to the reality of that sin. Depending on you to be right with God, you repent of that. You own that pharisaical action as a sin. And you believe that Jesus is the King, the Messiah, that He died and was buried, rose again, is ascended at the right hand of the Father. You put your hope in that and in that alone. And as a result of that, you follow Him. You walk in the dust of your rabbi and your king. It's not faith and works, but it's faith that works. Don't ever get the root and the fruit reversed. The Pharisees tried to fruit themselves into the root of salvation, and their fruit died and rotted on the ground in front of them. So here's my question in closing today. What blessings are you turning into a burden today? It's difficult to, to teach this because we are so far on the other side of Pharisees. Most of the problem in the church today is not the legalism of the Pharisees. It's the license of the publicans and prostitutes. Honestly, the church is, is, is living just like the world and there's no difference. That, that's just, am I right? That's just the truth. So how do you preach this? How do we apply this? Here's how you apply it. Those who are the children of God, who have repented of sin, put their faith in Jesus and are following Him to the best of the Spirit in them, What are, you, what are you trusting in? Are you looking to your children to be your good work that makes you right with God? They're going to disappoint you. You say, how do you know that? Because you made them. <laughs> And by the way, children are not given to you so that you might sanctify them. Children are given to you that God might sanctify you through them. He will show you your sin through your kids because it shows up in their life and it's, it's heartbreaking. What are you looking to? God has blessed us with so many blessings. We turned them into burdens. If we played the Pharisee, or if we played the publican, just running with the devil and thinking it'll, God's kind, it'll all be all right at the end. That's not how the gospel works, folks. Either way, we've got some repenting to do, and we've got some rejoicing to do that the Sabbath, God's laws were made for us, not the other way around. Don't take his great blessings and turn them into burdens. And one last word on that. Don't take God's blessings and turn them into idols.
God's best blessings make the best idols. Kids, spouse, friends. I love my friend Charlie. Core of my being. And he's gone. And if I'm not careful, I can let that turn into a bitter root in my heart. Because I worship the gift and not the giver. What do we need to let go of today that we might grasp him and him alone? Whatever it is, I'm going to ask you to do it now. Would you stand with me? Father God, we come to you as our musicians come today. And we just we thank you for this strange history that Mark includes for mostly Gentile audience, people like us. And just as we sat here and shook our heads at these Pharisees, I'm sure these Roman Christians did the same thing when they got Mark's account. But Lord, we're, you didn't have Mark write this so we could shake our heads at the Pharisees, but that we could bow our heads at our own sin. And that we could lift our heads in great rejoicing because you are so amazingly kind and generous and holy and righteous and merciful gracious that you would send your son to die for people like us. Wow. So either way, Lord, we must repent and rejoice today. And I pray that you would bring that about. Repentance is a gift. Holy Spirit, give that gift right now in Jesus' name. Break hearts. Break the bonds of bitterness. Break the, the, the iniquity of idolatry. Break it right now for the glory of King Jesus. And give us a heart of rejoicing. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Some of us haven't walked in that freedom for so long. We're mistaking our bondage for freedom. And it's, it's wake us up to the reality that we might walk free. We might love your greatest gifts with open hands, knowing that they're yours, not ours. And we might love you wholeheartedly. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If God's spoken to your heart this morning, maybe you need to repent and put your faith in Jesus. You've never done that. I command you this day, you must obey the gospel. The gospel is not to be believed. Listen to me. It is to be obeyed. Some of you today are sinners. And you need to obey the gospel and be transformed into a saint. Some of you saints have been sinning. That's not you. You weren't made for that. May God give us a gift of repentance either way. Amen. There's an old-fashioned altar up here. I would be glad to pray with you. We have other folks that can pray with you. You can pray right where you are. However you want to do that. You come today and seek the face of a holy God.